This is my story. This is my song. I'm going to be talking about stories over these next few weeks, but uh, let's introduce the series that we're about to embark on. Uh, This is us. This is us. It's a television series that follows the lives of Jack and Rebecca and their three children over four decades. And since 2016, fans of the show have laughed and cried and identified with the characters to the point they're kind of like family members. This is us. Over 17 million weekly viewers can connect with their stories. Their stories of real life and real pain and real joy, like addictions and death and marital unfaithfulness and miscarriages and fostering and aging and all the rest that goes into life. We can identify with those stories. And why not? We love stories. We all love stories. We cheer for the good guys and anxiously wait for the bad guys to get what's coming to them. And everything's going to turn all right in the end. But stories are slices of life that can capture and and keep our imagination. And I'm wondering, have you heard any good stories lately? Heard any good stories lately? Our stories seem to be growing smaller and smaller into little sound bites. And we don't have as much time as we used to to tell the stories of our life. And I enjoy listening to a good storyteller telling a good story. That individual has the ability to breathe life into words and suddenly you're right there and you can kind of feel what they're talking about and kind of living it along with them. It's a powerful, powerful tool. It's as though he or she is actually taking words and painting a picture, and then it comes to life. Man, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. These stories uh, that are told are not only entertaining, that's a part of it probably. Some of them are really inspiring, and some stories actually can become transforming. Think about that with me this morning. Remember those scary stories that you told or heard around the campfire that kept you awake or terrified well into the night? Oh, the power of a good story to hold our attention. Yeah. And I'm convinced that Jesus appealed to so many because he spoke God's eternal truth in everyday language. Jesus told stories. People came from far and wide, all ages, all backgrounds, to hear Jesus tell stories. Stories. Stories about farmers and birds and flowers and gardens and fishing and building and all kinds of everyday, ordinary stuff. Jesus told stories wherever he went. His stories were challenging, and at times, if the recipient allowed it, his stories actually became life changing. Uh, Matthew 13 is, is a chapter in the Bible known because it's just full of Jesus' stories. The whole chapter is nothing but Jesus' stories. Uh, here's an overview of Matthew 13. Jesus left the house and sat on the beach. In no time at all, a crowd gathered along the shorelines, forcing him to get into a boat. Using the boat as a pulpit, he addressed his congregation, telling stories. The disciples came up and asked, why do you tell stories? This was not a common way to express God's truth, telling stories. Uh, They were used to the teachers of the law, taking uh, that which was uh, really kind of 
theological and unfamiliar, but this guy comes and he's just telling stories, very simple kinds of stories. We continue in Matthew 13. All Jesus did that day was tell stories, a long storytelling afternoon. His storytelling fulfilled the prophecy, I will open my mouth and tell stories. I will bring out into the open things hidden since the world's first day. Now, let's dig into that just one step further. In Mark chapter 4, when they were off by themselves, those who were close to him, along with the twelve, asked about the stories. Remember, they had asked before, why do you tell these stories? Jesus told them, you've been given insight into God's kingdom, you know how it works. Well, they would, but not quite at that point. But to those who can't see it yet, everything comes in stories, creating readiness. Remember that. Nudging them toward receptive insight. He continued, do you see how these stories work? All my stories work this way. That's why he told stories, because he was nudging People, he's nudging us through these stories. He's creating in us this readiness, this receptivity to spiritual truth, transforming truth. And so Jesus used stories as his primary method to communicate then and now. All my stories work this way. He is nudging every one of us into spiritual insights if we will have ears to hear what the story really is all about. Make sense to you? Yeah. Powerful, powerful stuff. So welcome to our new series called This Is Us. And over these next weeks, our formats can be just a little bit different. We won't be going verse by verse through a book or, or through a theme or in a series. We're going to focus on... Southside and our family and the stories of our lives. And more importantly, where is God meeting us in these Kairos moments when God is breaking into our life and suddenly spiritual truth is right in front of us? What do we do with those kinds of things? What do these stories mean? Why is this happening to me? So the format will be just slightly different. I'm excited about this. These stories will motivate us and connect us. And if we allow these stories to do their work, they will make us more like Jesus. And that is the goal, is it not? To be more like Jesus. And this morning, we begin with some familiar faces to tell us a story. And if we listen carefully to the story, it will have transforming power on the listeners because it's a story of Jesus and his love and his mercy and his power to change a life. Do we have ears to hear, church? Yeah, let's listen carefully because I believe the Holy Spirit is going to speak. So let's welcome Pastor Michael and Jessica to the platform this morning. You need that. Good, good. Well, the two of you are a part of Southside. And I think that most of us, many of us, have heard bits and pieces of your story. But if stories are truly transforming, it's true both of those who hear and the person who tells the story. Sometimes stories are not easy to tell because our stories can be filled with pain 
and failure and shame. But through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, those stories become redemptive. Those stories become transforming. And your transformation then shines out to the rest of us. And so, we know you, but how much do we really know you? That's the question. I think by the time our time is done today, we're going to know you a little bit better because we're going to see the picture of what's really going on in your heart. And we'll see Jesus in you. That's pretty special. So who's going to start? That would be me. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yes, so we have four boys. Um, let's see a recentish picture of us there. Our oldest is Jacob. He is almost 20 years old. Um, you see him sometimes maybe in the drum cage. He was there this morning. Our next son, Zach, is 18. And he is the electric guitarist this morning. He is getting married to Sydney this summer. So we're excited about having a daughter, finally. (laughs) And then um, Noah and Riley are our youngest. They are almost 17. And Riley um, is running video this morning, and Noah was playing bass. So... um, We've been married 24 years. This December will be 25 years, which it feels like a very long time in some ways, and in other words, it's, <laughs> it's flown by. Mm-hmm. Uh, we grew up in church for the most part, and um, we actually went to the same church here in Sheboygan. That's kind of how we met. Um, we started dating our senior year in high school, and... Um, We both went to Christian colleges in Minnesota. I was studying to be an accountant, and Michael was studying to be a pastor. And we got married when we were 19 in school. Uh, Neither set of our parents were super enthused about us getting married that young. Um, Mike's parents didn't feel like they could tell us no because they got married when Young was right out of high school. And my parents told us that they didn't think that we should get married, and we didn't listen. So, (laughs) sorry, Mom and Dad. Um, My dad said um, he didn't see me as a pastor's wife, and that was a very valid um, concern. Um, I, at the time, thought I wanted to be an international business, which I didn't really know what that meant. It just sounded cool. And that would not have gelled at all. Um, But we ended up going on a little different path. Um, When we got married, um, we were used to the bliss of dating. We never argued when we were dating. And so we didn't realize that we had no conflict resolution skills and not great communication skills, period. So um, things got real pretty fast after we got married. Uh, We also came from families with very different perspectives on money, and that would cause us problems down the line, too. Yeah. So I I get to pick it up here, and I just, before we start kind of down this path, I just want to say that this is kind of a, it can be a depressing story in the the muck of it all, Um, but just this morning, like we're singing this song, You Are Good, I don't even like that song. Honestly, 
<laughs> but I'm lucky enough that I see one of my boys singing and one's mm -hmm. playing bass and one's drumming their hearts out and I know one is up there doing video and I'm just overwhelmed with God's goodness and like I was about to have a, a breakdown. Just it's so cool seeing what beauty God can make of things that like at one time you had no hope for mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. So I just want to say that I was super excited. I love my guys and um yeah. So Justin there in college. Um we were both in college full time. We were super, super young, like baby face. And uh we I think I was trying to work full time. Just had a part time job and we were trying to think about how much money we actually made that first year and I think it was like fourteen thousand dollars, I think, which is like how do you do that? But it was like it was tight, it was hard. Um so I wanted to be a pastor, that was the idea, and I was introduced by somebody just came in while I was working one time at a gas station, and he had this business opportunity for me, he could make residual income, which sounded great, $3,000 extra a month, because, you know, pastors at 12 don't really make that much money, and so that's great. Um, so what happened is I got sidetracked from, from mm -hmm. college, I got sidetracked from what God had planned for us, and took a year off to go down this road and make some money. And it didn't really pan out. What it ended up doing was making me lust after all the things in this world. I wanted the American dream. We were looking at great houses and cars and all this stuff. And that was like everything in my mind. That's what I wanted. And that's what I thought about. That's what I pursued. And it changed a lot of things in our lives. Um, while we were in college, and after I left, we went to a number of churches up in the cities. Uh, the Twin Cities have some really big, really cool churches. Mm -hmm. uh, we mm -hmm. went to several of them. I don't know that we ever really went to one for longer than a couple of months. Um, we just never felt connected. And part of that was because we didn't really do anything to get connected in it. Like, and now we can look back, and like, we were one of those people that give you guys a hard time. Like, you come in when the service starts, and you leave right away at the end, and you're never going to find connection that way. But, but that's kind of what we, we did during that time. And so we never felt connected. We never had a place to belong to. We never felt like anybody would miss us. So we just kind of, we eventually, we, we stopped going. And our, our lives kind of turned away from, from God, in, in a sense. And we weren't really looking that, we weren't really looking for God in a lot of our daily life. Um, so conflict was an issue. We fought a lot about money, um, especially when Jess got out of college, because then we started making some money, and I wanted to spend it, and she was not like that at all, so we had some conflict, and we didn't know how to deal with that, um, and like looking back now, it was always like, it was a right or wrong thing, um, Jess often didn't want to talk about it, uh, she just kind of let it go, and I always like, I could tell something was wrong, and she wouldn't talk to me about it, so like, I got mad. And I got upset. I remember one time in particular, um, I was so mad, and I don't know if it was exactly what happened, but I had, she was sitting on the couch, and I had a set of keys, and like, trying to get her to say something, and I got so mad, like, I wasn't thinking, and I just threw my keys, and it landed like a, a foot away from her head, and like, scared her uh, very badly, but like, I didn't treat her very well, and I think even when she did open up and say things to me, I got defensive. Um, because, like, I felt like I was right. I was the one who was right, and, like, why didn't she get it? 
And so mm-hmm. I think what that ended up mm-hmm. doing was it, it shut her down even more in a lot of ways. So it just made it harder uh, to talk about stuff and to resolve things that didn't really have a good start on our marriage. So as Michael talked a little bit about when conflict would arise, um, I was afraid of conflict. I didn't know how to handle it, and I didn't want to say things in anger. And so I just would try to stuff it down or, or wait till I was calmer and then... When things were calmer, then why do we want to drag that up again? And so either things just didn't get dealt with or I would blow up later about the thing that wasn't the thing. And so it was really hard for Michael because he wanted to talk it out and resolve it. And I didn't want to do that. And as he said, eventually when I would try, then we weren't listening to understand each other. We wanted to be right and we wanted to win the argument. And so it just... If you're familiar with love and respect, we would just get on the crazy cycle and just neither one of us would be the bigger person and just step back mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just seek the greater good. So time went on. Um, I graduated from college. I was working um, at a CPA firm in the suburb of Minneapolis. Um, shortly after that, um, I was pregnant with our first son, and we started just thinking about our lives and how it was very expensive to live and buy a house in the Twin Cities. The, the market was really hot at that time, and we just, we did what we thought we would never do, and we moved back to Sheboygan. <laughs> that was where the grandparents were, and um, it's just less expensive to live here, and I wanted to stay home. That was really important to me, and so Michael did not want me to stay home, but he was kind of passive about that and didn't tell me that he didn't want me to stay home and so um, he got a job in Sheboygan we moved back here Um, not too long after that Zachary came along and um, the problems in our relationship guess what didn't get better as we had to discover how to parent Um, it just exposed more um, problems in our relationship and we went from a situation where we were working in a, a bustling city. Um, we had college friends. We, I worked with a lot of young people, and they were our friends, um, to coming home to our families but and our home church. Um, we did start attending there again, but we didn't really have connection with people our age. We didn't have friends that were married um, for the most part, so we didn't have, we didn't know where to go with our problems, and we were too proud to talk about them. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So so just wanted to stay at home after the after we had kids, and I didn't like that at all because again I was about the money, and she's like a CPA, she's bringing in some pretty good dough, and now like that was gonna be cut off and it was left up to me, and so I wasn't excited about that. I didn't. I don't think I said much about it. I was very passive aggressive back then, so that maybe I reacted in ways that weren't very good, but. We didn't really talk about it. Um, so we had Jacob. Um, he was actually born in Minneapolis, and he, we came down when he was a month old. And that was an amazing fatherhood moment. Like, you're holding this little baby in your arms and just so linked with this guy. And it was just amazing and incredible. But then time continues to go on, and this little guy turns into this little monster. <laughs> He was the strongest-willed kid I think I've ever known, just a bear, and he was amazing. And then that 
cause a lot of other things between Jess and I because I figured this kid has to, like, we got to put him in this place. We got to break his spirit, basically. You know, like, I don't know if it's like military, like, they break you and they build you up. And that was kind of the way I think I looked at it. Like, I had to break him. And so it's very hard, very disciplinary, even when he's just this little tiny kid and he doesn't really know what's going on. And Jess was completely the opposite. She wanted to, she's very nurturing and caring. And so we totally disagreed. And it ended up that whatever I did was the wrong thing to do. Um, and so that it just, after a while, like over and over again, like you just, I was in this place where I just felt completely disrespected. I felt like what I said, it didn't matter. What I thought didn't matter. Um, I just had to, to shut up and just deal with it because it wasn't right. And so um, that created a lot of resentment in me uh, towards Jessica. And it created a lot of a lot of space um, just between us. And we would, and we've done this before, but like we had argued, and we'd go days without speaking to one another. And and there are times where, like, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced it, but like, just sometimes, like, she just kind of withdraws into her space, and I'm trying to, I want to draw her out. I want to deal with things, and like, she wouldn't look at. Even when we're talking, like she just, she wouldn't look at me. She would make eye contact, and that really hurt. I think more than anything, because then I felt invisible. I felt like like I wasn't even there, and I didn't know. I didn't know how to respond to that. I didn't know what to do, and it just, it just kind of went in this really depressing kind of hole, and um, so it was more isolated, um, more disconnected. Again, we didn't have like friends that we could talk to about this stuff, and it. Like eventually, I started looking for other ways to find connection, and that's when I got um, looking at, at pornography, and it kind of became addicted to pornography. I'm trying to find some connection, and eventually, I, I had a, a romantic affair with with another woman. Um, that it was emotional, it was romantic, but it, it wasn't sexual, and I don't know honestly that. It matters all that much because there was still a connection and it caused more distance from us that she just didn't know about at the time. Um, but it was a hard thing to to go through and, and then things got better. So our relationship was struggling, to say the least. We had, um, Jacob was not two yet. Zach was just a baby. And I found out that I was pregnant. Mike didn't want more kids. Um, I wasn't ready to close the door on that, but I definitely wanted to wait a while, but surprise, I was pregnant. And then I found out from the doctor that I was pregnant with twins. And so we were going to have four kids, um, ages three and under. Jacob turned three two weeks before the twins were born. That's our first Christmas um, after they were born. Yeah, and I didn't want more kids. I didn't. Um, it did, things were like crazy at home already. It was like hard enough. It was bad enough, and I thought just bringing two more into the picture, um, it, it it made me felt like I was trapped in a relationship that I didn't want. It wasn't even the kids so much as I think I didn't want to be with Jessica. And having two more kids in there just made it like, um, you know, guys might leave their their wives with with two kids. But then when there's four and there's, like, three and under, like, nobody wants to be that guy because automatically, like, you're 
enemy number one. You're like, you suck. Like nobody has any pity or respect for you. And so I think like subconsciously I wanted just to end it so that I wouldn't have to be the bad guy and I could like kind of make excuses for myself. Um, but this was the place that we were at and it was, it just, it's made things worse. So I started kind of as the, the twins were born, I started, um, we were going to church. I was in worship team and I got more and more involved in, in ministry. Um, I started doing youth ministry, I was in kids ministry, and like anything else that I could start to do to get out of the house and, and be, and ministry gave me like a sense of purpose, like I felt like I was doing something good, and all the while I was just kind of abandoning my wife, I was abandoning the boys, and just kind of leaving them behind, which didn't help. So those were difficult times, um, and at this point I was pretty much the invisible one, um. Mike, like he said, was he was involved in three, I think, major ministries. Um, he was playing sports. He was gone all the time. And looking back, I can see that he was just a 27-year-old guy who suddenly had immense amounts of responsibility and didn't know how to handle it. But at the time, um, it was very difficult. We, um, I had a, a specialized ultrasound um, with the twins and. And Michael had wanted a daughter um, from the first, from our first child, and so he was really hoping for twin girls or at least one girl. And they were able to see on the ultrasound that it was two boys. And when they gave us that news, he walked out of the room and didn't come back. I didn't want to talk about the problems that we were having. I was too proud. I didn't really have a place to go with that. Um, but even if I had. I mean, I should have been able to go to someone at church or something, but I felt like no one would take my side because he was so involved in ministry and so involved in church, and I thought I would look like the bad guy. And so um, I was left to do everything at home. I threw myself into the kids. Um, for me, it was just survival, um, especially after the twins were actually born. I didn't have time to think too much about things, um, and I'm sure that as a part of that, I neglected him even more because the kids just demanded all of my time um, and all of my attention. I was exhausted all the time. Um, there was not a lot of sleeping going on, especially at the beginning for any of us. I remember um, when it was really, really bad. Um, I, he felt invisible to me. But I felt invisible to him. And I just wanted him to, to care and to notice me. And so one night I packed a bag and I went to my parents' house and I, I told them a little bit about the problems that we were having and I asked if I could stay there. And I didn't want to leave for good. I just wanted him to not be able to go to work in the morning and have to deal with us. And um, my parents said that I could stay and um, my dad offered to go talk to Mike and and I knew that that would not have a good outcome. So I ended up going home um, that night, and things just kind of kept going on. Yeah, that probably would have been pretty ugly. I was, I was full of pride then, and that would have. Um, yeah. So all this is going, and, and realize, like, not everything is all bad. 
Like, we had, like, moments where it seemed like there is a little bit of hope. Like, maybe things would be okay now. And then it didn't take much, like, a day or two later, like, the same kind of thing happened, and it spun both of us right back into these dark places. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just, like, a cycle, and it just seemed like there's no end. And, and, and that's, I think, what made it tough, because even when you have these, like, moments where you think you've got some kind of breakthrough, some kind of connection, like, just the smallest thing can bring you right back into that place where you just feel empty and like, what's the point anyway? But, but this was all happening. Um, I was continuing in, in ministry, and I was, I was living a double life in, in a lot of ways. Like, my home was messed up. I don't know that a lot of people knew that. I didn't share that. Um, but as I've been thinking about it this last week, like, I'm not a person that can hide my feelings very well. Like, people know when something is up, that that's who I am. It drives me nuts that Jess can be, like, we can have an argument, and all of a sudden I'll go to her family's place or church, and I'll just say, oh, everything is good, and, like, I can't do that. It, it affects me, but, so I would say, like, passive-aggressive things at, at church, like, I don't know if they had any really, like, close friends that you could talk to about stuff, but I don't know that they were really interested. It was like they were, like, mm -hmm. Like two places, one was a church and one is at home. And anytime I like said something passive aggressive about marriage or about Jess or something, like I don't think anybody really wanted to hear it. Nobody asked about it. I'm spending hours and hours at church doing ministry, and like I have four tiny kids at home with a wife, and I don't remember anybody really asking, mm -hmm. like, "Hey, is this okay? Like, what's going on at home?" And that, you know, just looking back now, you can see like that. Something should have happened, like either a friend was involved in the ministry, something, uh, but it didn't, so it just, we continued down in this ugly space. Um, I still had a porn issue, addiction, because we weren't connected and not, you know, just looking for something, um, so, and, and it was hidden, and I'm like, like guys to have this know, like, it's in the dark, it's usually late at night, like nobody else is around, and it's just hidden secret thing, and um, there was one afternoon I was at work. I was working at Bemis at the time as a programmer. Um, and I got a call from Jess because there was something on her computer that had sprung. I don't know, like something left that didn't clear my tracks or something. And I remember like just a uh, huge sense of shame, uh, fear, and panic just kind of gripped me because like she found this stuff, this stuff that I was trying to keep hidden. I didn't want her to know about. And it was like on lunch and I remember I, I drove home immediately and like it was trying to, I don't even know what I was trying to do, but I was like, I felt terrible. And I knew it, it hurt her deeply and I did care. Um, and that was, that was a really tough conversation, but at the same time, that was probably one of the best things that could happen because it forced this issue that was covered in the dark that nobody knew about it, it forced it into the light. And for the first time, then somebody knew about it, just knew about it, and that was something that began to help break that addiction. Because the longer it stays in the dark, the more it festers, the more it rots inside. And so that was a good thing. But as I'm doing all these ministries and things, like I, I was in this place where I felt like my family was holding me back. Jess was holding me back. The boys were holding me back. I couldn't do what, what God wanted me to do, right? And it's, 
it's kind of crazy when you look back, because now, like, I'm stupid. Like, what a self-righteous jerk you are. Like, come on. Um, but, but that's how I felt, and I avoided being home because it, it didn't feel like there was purpose. It just felt like I was just a stranger in my own house. And so, yeah, I just felt like a stranger in my house. Other than, like, needing to bring a sense of control or bring relief to Jess a little while because she's got four boys, she's trying to manage, and I could bring relief to that sometimes, but outside of that, I didn't really feel like there was anything else for me. Like, that was, that was my whole purpose there. And I remember praying, like, I would spend quite a bit of time praying that God would change Jessica, that he would do something, like, open her eyes, let her see, and... Again, like hindsight's twenty twenty, but like I, I was the issue. I was the issue, and it's funny we were talking about it this week. And like, if there wasn't like a better example of like take the beam out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of your brother's, like this was it. Um, but but that that's the place that we were, and that's where we were. Yep, um, and I was also I knew that I couldn't change Mike. Um, and so I was also praying that God would change him. And um, just how God works, he starts by changing you, as we all know. So um, a turning point for us was we saw the movie Courageous. If you're not familiar with it, it's a Christian movie that um, is about parenting and more specifically about fatherhood. And so we, we watched that movie, and when, when it ended, we just sat in the theater like, wow. Like, this is going to change things. Like, I thought there would be Bible studies springing up all over the city, and I, I don't know. Um, but it just opened our eyes to um, what we were not doing for our children. And so that began um, a real change in our lives. Um, we, you know, churches always have small groups, and they want you to join them. And anytime anybody had mentioned that in the past, I ran the other way because I wanted nothing to do with small groups. I was afraid that somebody would ask me a question that I didn't know the answer to, and I would look stupid, mm-hmm. or um, I would have to admit to the problems that we were having. And so I never wanted anything to do with that. But as a part of this um, experience with this movie, God put this real desire in my heart to um, lead a group through some material that was related to the class um, so that um, we, along with other people, could learn um, how to be godly parents. And so that's been, I think Jacob was maybe 12-ish when we started that, so that's been eight years, I think, um, that we've been in and mostly leading home groups um, since then. And it's kind of funny to look back, like if anybody should not have been leading a home group, it was us. But it just goes to show you that the leader gets the most out of the material. And um, that, that has been so transformational for us doing that um, stuff that was related to courageous. We've done um, love and respect, parenting things, just general Bible studies, and just being in community with people. And um, having that focus study time has just changed our lives. So Here's my home group plug. If you are not in one, find one because you need it. Yeah. Yeah, so courageous. Um, so by this time, Jacob is about 12. Um, so the, the worst times were behind us. We were kind of, we were starting to learn how to work together. 
uh, which was good. But but this movie was is a huge guy moment for us because we did we literally sat there after the show was over and just sat and like it meant so many different things. Like I realized my idea of fatherhood uh, was completely messed up and wrong. Like there's so much more to it. It's not just about getting your kids to do what they're supposed to do. Um, and I remember like when they were little, like it wasn't about training them up in the way they should go so much as about training them up so they didn't make me look bad. Mm. Like it was all about me as my mm. pride. And if they were acting out or looking bad, then like it was a bad reflection on me. Um, and so this, this changed everything and it, uh, it helped me realize like it's not just that it wasn't meant to just be a disciplinarian, but it was meant to be a teacher. That like our hearts were supposed to connect, um, like like God connects with us, uh, and there was so much more to it. So I began something that I never wanted to. I thought it was stupid reading like parenting books and like marriage books. Like I started reading this kind of stuff because I thought I didn't need that before. Like that's dumb. Like how hard is it? But I started reading this stuff. And I began to change. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just, it was really cool. Like, Father was meant to be so much more. And so I began to parent very differently. Like, well, I didn't want to just be concerned about the immediate results. But I wanted to shepherd the hearts of my kids. And shepherd the hearts of my boys. And luckily, I think it came at an age where, like, I didn't do so much damage. Like, well, God can always reverse what we've done. But, like, it felt like it was a really good time where... It was just perfect where we could really shepherd their hearts at that time. Um, and because of that, like, Jess and I became aligned in our purpose. Like, we had something that we were working on together. It wasn't like I was just doing my own thing and she was doing her own thing and we were continually going in separate directions. We had a common vision as far as how we wanted our family to be and how we wanted our kids to be. And, and that was really powerful for us. So we still, we still struggled in times, in a lot of the, the pain of the past, like it still came up and it had its head. We still didn't know how to deal real well with um, conflict because it's still about me being right, not getting what she's talking about, like what is the matter with you. Like um, I've learned a lot, I think, especially recently, which I think is good. Um, but we still had to fight through years just trying to, to find this connect. And I remember one time, like, I had to tell her, like, I'm not your enemy. Like, we're on the same team. And I don't even know if that was something that she could really receive at that time. Because, you know, like, when, when you're in the middle of it, when you're having an argument with your spouse, like, all the good things about them, like, you don't remember it. You don't, you just, it's all just right now. Why are they being so ridiculous? This is stupid. Like, they're never going to, it's, it's all the negative. And yet, oftentimes you forget to see all the good things, all, all the good experiences you've had, and it's all just this negative impression right there in that moment. And sometimes it's hard to get past that and say we're just two people trying to understand each other, um, trying to do what we feel God wants us to do, and we get kind of, there's just this wall that comes up if we're not So I mentioned um, that we did these years of small groups, and that um, was really helpful for us. And like Michael said, he would say to me, like, we are on the same team. And I I don't think that I could hear that very well at first because we had not been on the same team. We had our own goals, our own purposes, and 
Um, that was a lot of years of wearing in those patterns, and it takes, I, I wish there was an easier answer, um, but it takes a lot of work and time to rewire those old patterns, and so we've come a long way in that, but we still have to recognize sometimes when we want to default back to those own, or those old, those old ways. So looking back, um, I'm just so thankful for God's grace through it all. Um, there were so many times when I just felt like our situation was hopeless, and it was never going to be any better, and I just had to figure out how I was going to suck it up and deal with that. Um, I just really didn't see how things could be different, and um, I'm so thankful that God didn't see us that way. He didn't leave us in that place, um, and that he brought us things just at the right time um, when we needed them, um, and he was walking with us through all of it. We just weren't always listening to what he had to say to us. So... Um, Currently, like the the discipleship cohort that that Michael and Pastor John have gone through and have mentioned with Kairos moments and all that kind of thing, um, continues to be transformational for really our whole family. Um, Our older two boys have been through that material too. And so learning how to recognize those Kairos moments where God is speaking to us and then how we respond to those Kairos moments has just continued to help us grow so much in our relationship with each other and our relationship with God. Yeah, so the, the big idea is, is God's grace yeah. in all of this. Because, you know, I look back and when the, when the twins were inside Jessica's oven, <laughs> um, you know, I didn't want them, but like looking back, like they were one of the biggest, most incredible blessings God could have ever given us. Um, and not just because of who they are right now, because of our connection right now, but like if, if they were not there, like that could have been the end where like I would have said goodbye, Jess, like it's done. Like I don't want to do this anymore. And so they kept us together. And that is, I think it's God's grace in the middle. Like we didn't see that for what it was. But it's, it is what it was, and it's a huge, amazing, incredible blessing. And just, you know, you, we see God in all the details. And as we're able to, to look at Kairos moments and these God moments where we're trying to get our attention, like, now we can see those a little better. And, and, but looking back, like, they were all over the place. God was trying to get our attention. He was trying to break through a lot of the stuff that we were in and say, hey, like, look here, get, you know, and... And we didn't know how to respond. We didn't know how to hear him. And, and it just, because of that, like, our, we didn't look towards him. We looked to other things, like idols, basically. We looked to other things to try to fill this void in, in our hearts. And, and like, it just messed us up. And so like, God's grace is a huge part of it. And, I, like, and honestly, I'm like, I've realized lately, I don't know if... For those of you that know Jessica, have known her for any length of time, like, she is growing. And it is so awesome to see her grow and to, like, God's got a purpose for her. And I look back and, like, it hurts because there's so much of our marriage where she was, like, a means to an end, in a sense. Like, I, I felt like... So I acted like she's supposed to hold me up. I'm this great ministry guy doing all the right stuff. And 
like she's holding me back. But I should have been there for her. I should have been encouraging her. I should have been lifting her up and helping her to see who God made her to be and the plans that he has for her. Um, because since things have kind of changed and I'm trying to do that because I see so much of you know, this God potential, God dreams inside of her. Like It's so cool to see what God has done. And uh, I feel stupid now. But um, I need Kleenex. I want to go some Kleenex. Um, but you're supposed to be the one that cries, not me. You know, when we talk about God moments and just how he's, he uses even our junk, it's not just these amazing worship moments where God is breaking in, but it's in these really tough times too. And, um, this might be a God moment for some of you. Like, maybe he's trying to break through some of your stuff and you're not here. And maybe he wants to tell you who he is and who you are because of who he is. Yeah. Maybe he's got a word for you and think it's time to stop running and then start listening. Don't look away from him and try to immerse yourself in other things that you think are going to fulfill because they're not. Let him speak his good news into you. That's that's the gospel. That's the gospel. So I hope this gives you hope. Um, Justin and I were... We didn't realize how hard this was going to be today. Uh, we were going through this stuff this last week. And, and Pastor John said it's going to resurface some old stuff. It's going to tear some scabs off of wounds. And, and we didn't really understand it. But as we're doing this together and trying to like prepare, man, like, man, this is hard it like and like I, seeing Jess hurt all over again um and what it did when she saw like on paper that I wanted a divorce at some point like that's like that when you're growing up and you're raised in church like you, you're taught no don't ever say the d word don't say it because it's not an option and that's kind of what we were taught and I didn't really say it but it didn't change the fact that that's what I wanted so seeing that like it, it brought up a lot of hurt and I was like, why are we doing this? This is dumb. Because it hurts. It's resurfacing all this old stuff. But the, the fact is, if, if, if it can, God can use it to break through and do something in your life and get your attention to, hey, listen. Then I think it's worth it. And if we can break down some of these barriers, uh, these walls as a church where, like, we think we've got it all together or we're too proud to let people see our stuff. Like, that's not living in Christ. That's not living in community. Like, we gotta let that stuff, like, life is life and we need each other. Like, we can't keep it all hidden. But we want to expose it. We want to bring it into the light. So whatever it might be, getting into a home group, going to find a counselor or, or whatever it might take, Things aren't meant to be hidden. Things aren't meant to be in the dark. God wants to take all that stuff, and he wants to bring something beautiful from it. Well, uh, let's just, we're going to finish with the offering in just a moment, okay? So we're almost at the end. But let's go off script, because that's where I, I love it best.
Oh, look at the time. No, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Good. Uh, but let's just think about that just for a moment. Let's start with you, Jessica. If there's a woman here who's feeling isolated and alone and living a lie, what's she supposed to do? Tell somebody. Find somebody that you can trust. Um, see our junk out here. Um, I would be happy to talk to you. We, we don't have all the answers, and we certainly don't want to make it sound like we do or that we have now arrived and now are perfect because that is definitely not the truth. But um, I, the number of mornings that I could hardly get out of bed because I was so anxious and depressed and hopeless, I don't want any of you to have to go through that. And so if you currently are, please, um, there, are, there are counselors that we can help you find um, or just a friend to talk to. Just don't keep going at it alone. Don't keep on that Christian mask like we did for so long. Thanks. And Michael, if a guy's caught up in, in porn or a, a relationship that's wrong, even if it's just emotional, well, what is he supposed to do? There's never an easy answer. But the, you got to get into the light. Um, and the, there was a moment where my parents knew about this relationship that I had. And I thought they were going to side with me and think that it's okay to get divorced. And then their hearts broke for Jess. And I remember being so mad at them at the time. I didn't want to hear what they had to say. So, like, you're in this place where, like, Sometimes you don't want to hear what's right. You don't want to hear the answers. Um, and that makes it a lot harder. But a lot of it's because we're believing a lie that things can't get better. Um, and God's got good news for that. Like, so as we can attend to our, our God moments and do it well, and sometimes when you're, when you're in the thick of stuff, like, it's hard to be subjective about it because you're just you're so deep in and you can't see light. But find somebody. Like we didn't have friends we could talk to. We didn't have a group that we could felt we could be open with. Um, and that's important. Like again, because God wants us to walk this road together, to care for each other and love one another as like parts of the body, as like our own body. Um, and that's important. So you want to get into the light with somebody you can trust. And counseling isn't a bad thing. Sometimes like you need to go through counseling, and that's. That's all well and good, um, but their home group options, um, accountability, you know, where you've got another guy or a group of men, like being honest about how things are in your relationships, in your walk with God, not to like beat each other up when you mess up or when you do something wrong, but it's a place of encouragement, like and let's lifting each other up rather than beating them over the head. I think that's the accountability groups have kind of gotten a bad rap for some stuff because like you, you go in and you don't want to share your stuff because when you do, you just get thumped. You know, that's no fun. So then you either quit going or you're just you're lying about it and then it defeats the whole purpose. But as, as godly men, we've got to be encouraging each other and lifting each other up, not condemning one another or bringing <coughs> judgment, um, but loving each other the way that Jesus does. Good. And one last one of all of us to a degree, and some of us more so than others, are living a life of duplicity in which 
they're serving in the church, doing great things for God or his kingdom somewhere outside the church, and yet uh, their home life's a wreck. What do you say to that person? It's for me. Um, the home comes first. I don't think you can minister effectively in the church if your home life is messed up. Um, you just can't. You're you're like you're pulled back, and even like what good you might see, it might seem like you can do. I think you're doing more damage at home. Um, and just for like personally looking back at like Jess, we. We're in this place, we're in this really sweet spot where we're doing ministry together, and it is so fun, and it is so cool, and it's like we're side by side, and that's something that never would have happened if things hadn't changed, if I had always just used her as a stepping tool to get to the next place or do what I thought I needed to do, that wouldn't happen, and like there is strength when you can do it side by side, and be unified and on the same page doing it together, so... I would, so if your stuff isn't right at home, quit what you're doing, or re, let's reevaluate. Maybe not necessarily quit, because we all got stuff, like sometimes things come up at home, so it's not just a, like, okay, I'm going to quit everything. But it's good to talk to somebody about it, and let's, let's evaluate like what is important here and what needs to be done. Good, good. I just want to thank these two. This is not easy to do. Uh, and yet you're seeing servants of the Lord being transformed right in front of you. Because, as we talked about on Easter, our usefulness is directly tied to our brokenness. And we want this to be a safe place where everybody's story can be heard without condemnation or judgment, uh, but with love and support and a, a hand to say, let's go do something about this. Let's go to Jesus and see what he says. Uh, but I just want to thank the two of you. This is crazy. I mean, both their parents are sitting here, their kids are sitting here. It's like weird, weird. But we wanted to start this series this way, with this level of authenticity and transparency uh, so that lives can be transformed by stories. Remember why Jesus told stories? To nudge people toward spiritual activity. And I trust that this story that you've heard will nudge you to be more like Jesus. And that perhaps is the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now like, man, I've I, I got to quit playing this game. It's time to get real. It's time to get my priorities right. It's time to do it Jesus' way. And then we send up a shot of victory. Because every one of our stories isn't complete. It's being written right now. And what was is no longer. What is to come is your decision today. So thank you, Pastor Michael and Jessica. Great job. Great job.